The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome. You've entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simran Singh. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Learn to empower yourself, broaden your mind, open your heart, and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simran Singh. A pleasure to have you back with us. I'm excited about the third show in Series of Three, with the spiritual teacher, Shavasti. He brings a deep, life-changing work through all of the different modalities that he does, and he has merged them. And much of his work is based on family constellations. He helps individuals to really uncover these age-old orders of love, which are deeply embedded in the unconscious of family groups. This forgotten knowledge, rediscovered and refurbished, is so compelling that it changes people's lives. Disturbances to the orders of love in previous generations will inevitably affect the lives of both concurrent and future generations. When this profound influence is understood, individual suffering is revealed in a whole new light, and so is healing. We've done two prior episodes where we have discussed everything from uh, positive spirituality to children to how the wounds, uh, our own wounds, really affect future generations. So I'm looking forward to going even more deeply in today's show. Shavasti has life-changing spiritual teachings and healing work and a breadth of globally seasoned life experience. And I think just by hearing him, you're going to see that. He has a new audio book out, which is called Teachings from an Awakened Heart, which I urge you to go to his website and download. The, the audios are truly powerful. will definitely allow you to perceive your families and yourself and life in a different way. So you can go to Shavasti.com to find out more about him as well as the audiobook Teachings from an Awakened Heart. Welcome back, Shavasti. Thank you. Good morning to you. And, um, yeah, I'm very happy to be back. And it's, it's great to be, um, to be, get, be back together well, for our third time. I know. I'm so excited about all that was shared in the last two episodes because it really was some beautiful and rich uh, teachings, and I know that that just nearly touches what you talk about through your audio book. I wanted to ask some questions in regard to uh, a little bit more of a global expanse because I know you do go out and you speak to groups. You you work with families, you work with organizations, with all kinds of people that you speak to, and you you also unearth things that are planetary. Uh, I wanted to talk about how that actually happens. There is a saying that when we do, when we shift, everything around us shifts, and when we clear something, it actually heals our future generations, but also goes back and heals our prior generations. Can you talk about how that works, how in doing our own work, we actually, uh, it makes sense how we affect the future generations. How does it actually affect the prior generations? 
prior generations, did you say? Yeah. Uh, um, well, without us even really being consciously aware of it, so many of us are living out the experiences of the previous generations. And when we look at ourselves as awareness, as different levels of consciousness, when we see beyond what is physically now, mm-hmm. and we know that there is communication that takes place in non physical world, and there is also so memory that's carried in the DNA from one generation to the next. And we've seen plenty of evidence of adopted children that have characteristics of parents and grandparents that they certainly never met, and perhaps he didn't know existed. The past is, is always present. It doesn't actually go anywhere. It's only when we're in our day-to-day consciousness, when we're walking around, when we're going to the supermarket, when we're going to work, when we're taking kids to school, bringing them back from school, doing whatever it is that we do, that we have a very linear experience of time. But when we sit in deep meditation or when we feel very inspired, when we're cooking or painting or um, talking or doing healing or something or writing, something very inspired, we move into that timeless zone. And in that timeless zone, then everything is together. So in that way, the, the Battle of Gettysburg is still happening. In that way, the partition of India is still happening. In that way, the Second World War is still happening. In that way, the the African diaspora is still happening. In that way, the Trail of Tears uh, with the Native Americans is, is still happening. And so that remains within the ether. And so when we approach ancestral work, it's about looking at and honoring the suffering of our ancestors. Now, we could walk around and just say, oh, these terrible things, they should never have happened. However, however, and it's a very important, however, when we step out of our that's a bad thing moment, because there are things that have happened which, you know, I'm not trying to say that they're good, but when we step out of that, then there is a realization, an understanding, a realization that all of us, each and single, every single one of us on the planet, you, that's me, everyone who's listening, um, the engineers in your studio, each one of us has life that has been a result of the events of the past and also the suffering of the people of the past. And so some of us have grandparents who met one another as a result of some some event. Could have been a war. It could have been the Great Depression. It could have been something else that happened. Perhaps your grandparents were both in an orphanage together. Um, Perhaps your grandfather was a soldier, and your grandmother was a woman in a in a town in the country in which she was fighting. And so that is true for all of us. And so history has molded who we are today. 
work that I do is to say to people, okay, yeah, your life is as a result of this tragedy that occurred in, in your country, to your people, to your ethnicity, to your uh, religious background, whatever it is that happened, but you don't have to live that out. And we often do, in a very unconscious way, we're saying, Grandmother, because you suffered so terribly, then I, I too will, I will carry some of that suffering for you. I will limit my life. I will make my life smaller, and I won't have the happiness. And so the inner movement, in terms of honoring our, our ancestral past, is to be able to say, Father, please bless me if I have the courage to be happier than you. Mother, please bless me if I have the courage to have more than you. And it takes a very courageous child to be happier than their ancestral heritage. And so this became important for, for me when, when I had the realization that um, my father had been um, an officer in the British Army. My mother's from Gibraltar, which is a British colony, realizing that my life was as a result of the colonizer marrying the colonized. Mm. So I could stand and shout as much as I wanted to, as loudly as I wanted to, and say, oh, British Empire's terrible, should never have happened. Well, then I just negate my whole life. I say I shouldn't exist, but I do. And I'm here. And I'm here. So let me ask you a question, Shavasti. So when, when people hold prejudices or, or hold history on their shoulders uh, in a way that they still have uh, discordance or hate against another uh, type of people or society or culture, then they are not only spreading the virus carrying the virus that will still continue to spread and compound in future generations, because we live truly in timelessness, they're also compounding the very events that they're so upset about that happened in history. Well, uh, yes, and they're living it out themselves. And so their, their life will also be limited in some way. Um, I have come across individuals whose entire life is just built on, on a rage about something that happened one or two generations back. And so there's a much, much deeper question here. Let's say that your people were persecuted. Let's say really badly persecuted. And, and uh, within the context of uh, many of your listeners, because they're in the United States, that's why I'm assuming most of them will be, there are so many stories from the background of people there. Um, it, it, it is a nation of immigrants, and therefore those people left com countries for a reason, either because of poverty or because of war or because of persecution. And then within the United States, there's, there's been enough of that going on as well with slavery, um, uh, the relationships of Native Americans, many Jews arriving from Europe after the pogroms and after the, the Holocaust, etc. And so it behooves us to 
look at the perpetrator, to really look at the perpetrator and ask yourself, what did this person do to themselves? What did they really, really do? When we stand in this place of saying, that's the bad one, and I'm not talking about their activity, the behavior clearly is not good, it's unhealthy, it's bad, okay? But I'm looking at the individual. When we stand there as the good, the good, trying to forgive the bad, what I've noticed is, is that we often do so with a lot more enthusiasm, meaning that the good eventually become another version of the bad because they triumph over the bad and then they start dictating what is bad behavior and what is good behavior, what is bad politics and what is good politics. And so a lot of freedom fighters become dictators the following day. Once everybody's free and liberated, then they then become the new, the new perpetrator. So we need to find a way to break this cycle. And part of that is to stand in the shoes of the perpetrator, not in a holier-than-thou, not in a, oh, I'm going to be the bigger and better person, but in a very real way to look at what did this person do to themselves? What has been the impact of his or her actions? For example, what is the impact on the grandchildren and great-grandchildren of uh, a plantation owner, a slave owner? From my observation, many of those families have a lot of alcoholism and a lot of gambling down through the generations. It's a very heavy burden that's carried by the descendants of the perpetrators. And so it behooves us to really look at the person who's standing there. That doesn't absolve them of the responsibilities and the consequences of human law. I'm not suggesting that we um, let all perpetrators off scot free, um, but I'm talking about what do we carry in our hearts. So this is not a, um, a pacifist preaching and saying, oh, no, 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 well, we don't send anybody to prison or anything like that. That's a whole different topic as to what we do um, in the legal system, and there are, mu- there are other people who are much more qualified than I am to talk about that. But I'm talking about what is the inner movement in the heart. Because I know from my own experience is that each of us has a deep longing for everyone, including ourselves, to come home. And I use the word home in a far deeper way, to come home to the truth of who they are. Not from this idealistic perspective, but to really to be able to be in touch with their own hearts. So if we think about a slave owner, if we think about... Um, somebody working in a concentration camp, if we think about somebody deeply racist, perhaps a member of the Ku Klux Klan, if we think about any of these people that we can easily identify as being very unpleasant perpetrators, we need to ask ourselves, what do they do to themselves? And what is the damage to their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren? And when we look at the children grandchildren and great-grandchildren of those who were 
the victims of such individuals, the effects are pretty much identical. And so that is my asking, that is my invitation, not to take on a particular dogma or specific way of thinking, but the invitation is to meet that, to meet that and see what happens to your own heart. And, and avoiding masks, avoiding idealism, avoiding creating a new dogma, but really sitting with the truth of what, what is that? What does that truly mean? And I have personally stared down the barrel of a gun. Uh, I was in a hostage situation seven years ago, um, tied up and had a gun. So I've really had to look at these topics from a very um, intimate, up-close up, up perspective. Not that that makes me more qualified than anybody else to talk about it, but I am talking from a lot of experience as opposed to You're just talking theory. from personal, yes, personal experience. And uh, you said something very, very powerful that I want to reiterate, and that was... We look at an experience that has happened and we want to hate the person and, and call the person bad. And what we really are disliking is the activity, the, the, the behavior yeah. that took place, yeah. not necessarily the person. So in order to, to come to a place of compassion for the individual that is there that we identify so easily with the activity, how do we then uh, find that compassion? Do we, do we look for that, let's say it was um, hatred uh, uh, um, that, that caused the, the behavior, do we, do we then look for that within ourselves and try to identify it so that we can find out perhaps putting ourselves in the other person's shoes even though you know that the behavior is not good, but maybe the, where the emotion came from, is that part of the place to start to begin that process of compassion and forgiveness? Um, somewhat, yes. I think what it really requires is to look with absolute honesty, honesty and clarity at the nature of our own relationship to the self, especially within the context of Western culture, where we have been raised for 50 or 60 generations to believe that we were born imperfect and in sin. We've had this threat of hellfire and damnation hanging over our heads since about 500 AD. And so that's 1,500 years of being told there's something wrong with you. And so a big part of Western culture, and it exists in other cultures, and it, it's formed in a different way there. Um, so, you know, this is, this is my general audience right in this moment. Um, it really behooves us to look at self-hatred, to look at self-hatred. Western culture, and, and some countries more than others, and the United States more than more than. Um, most other nations uh, within the context of a developed Western nation is very punitive in nature. And that punitive nature comes from our religious tradition. And so much of Christianity is um, distorted and very much based on um, the very strict and punitive teachings of the Old Testament um, and really bypass 
the master of love himself, Jesus, in terms of what he speaks about from the heart. And this has engendered a lot of self-hatred. We see that in the fitness industry. We see that um, with the way in which yoga has been taken up in, in Western culture. We see that in, in advertising. Women are particularly subjected to it with all the images of what it is to have a perfect body. You've got to have this kind of hips and the, these kind of lips and this kind of hair and all these images that say, well, a real woman has curves. Well, what, what does that mean? Then a skinny woman is not a real woman. And so there are all these images that, that people are expected to live up to, and it's all based on you've got to be a certain way, you've got to look a certain way, you have to behave a certain way to compensate for the fact that you were born in sin, that you are imperfect. And so there's a lot of self-hatred within our culture, and that self-hatred is looking for an expression. And the other side of the coin of that is hatred, hatred towards the other. So now we've got someone that we can identify as being evil or bad and project everything onto them and say, well, I'm going to stop you right there because I want to have a conversation about projection when we get back from this break. My guest yes. is Shavasti, and he is the author of the new audio book, Teachings from an Awakened Heart. He also has other books under the name of John L. Payne. You can go to his website at shavasti.com. If your family is in crisis, if you have all but found yourself and you see yourself as isolated or lost, or you are a parent that simply doesn't know what to do to heal the relationship with a sibling, a parent, a spouse, a partner, or help your children, then I would urge you to definitely discover Shavasti's work. He brings deep experience in working with individuals and families to look at the healing underlying and often hidden dynamics that cause rifts in relationships. It's rarely ever what you consciously see or think is the problem. You can go to his website, Shavasti.com. We'll be right back with Shavasti. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You 
are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. If you would like to join today's discussion, please call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5795. Again, 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to Simron at simron-singh.com. Now back to 1111 Talk Radio with Simron Singh. I invite you to explore 1111 Magazine. It is filled with some beautiful articles and amazing people from around the world. There are always stories and articles and insights that will expose you to many different beautiful teachers, writers, speakers, and individuals that are really spreading a lot of love and light across the planet. You'll be inspired by the images and the writings, and it is completely free. You can go to my website and access the current issue and archived issues at any time. In addition, look up my books. The uh, IPPY 2014 Gold Award winner for Mind, Body, Spirit, Conversations with the Universe, to help you understand and recognize the signs, symbols, and synchronicities that are showing up in your life to tell you more about you. In addition, your journey to enlightenment, to develop an opportunity of meeting the divine child within, to live your life childlike with wonder, curiosity, and playfulness by letting go of all of the places in your life that are holding you back and the replication that you have conformed into. It's time to live with courage and step into your own journey to enlightenment. You're the only one that can give it to you. My guest today is Shavasti, and he is the author of an audiobook entitled Teachings from an Awakened Heart. It is a powerful and wonderful audiobook that will definitely take you very deep, whether you are a seasoned speaker or whether you are someone that's brand new, it is likely to really open your eyes to a lot of things. Each of us has a deep longing to be at peace with who we are and to feel deeply fulfilled with what we have in our lives, whether it's relationships, career, finances, body, or mind. However, for most people, it can appear from the outside that we have it all, and yet there's this feeling or lack of dissatisfaction that can haunt you even when when you are living your normal life. It it makes you ask, what's wrong with me or what needs to change? Shavasti does offer personal exploration in addition to relational and family healing. He is available for speaking engagements and also group conferences where he can do a lot of the family constellation work and where he also brings in some of his other modalities. Definitely look him up at shavasti.com. Shavasti, when we finished the last segment, you talked a little bit about you were going into the subject of projection, and that is such a huge uh, thing that occurs in our lives. It's so easy to see the people opposite us and, and how wrong they are and what they're doing and how they've messed up or how they're controlling. And particularly in families, you know, we, can, we have this situation where we uh, are so easily seeing the other side, but it's hard hard to recognize that we're in a relationship with them. My mother has the saying that she always said, and it was, it takes two hands to clap. So, you know, it requires two to be in relationship. How do we handle the projection? What do we do to heal that projection that takes place in our lives? And is there any way through this type of work to have, uh, to help a person that is projecting onto you to see a little bit differently. Mm. Okay. Well, projection is a problem for for all of us, and it really takes place um, just from an energetic and an energy anatomy point of view. It takes place when we live our lives centered 
in our upper chakras. And that is an issue, especially for uh, many people living in developed nations where the body is functional and where the mind, where the mind and the intellect is held up and valued way beyond where it should be. And so we have valued the mind so much that there are many spiritual seekers who are hoping to find the intellectual answer that will resolve something for them. And so when we live in the upper chakras, and that means the the throat, the third eye, the crown chakra, especially through the third eye, then we're looking at the world literally through a screen, and we're projecting that screen onto the world. And with that, because that particular chakra, our third eye chakra, also has access to cosmic and angelic realms, that we can live from this point of idealism. And so everything gets divided into what's good and what's bad, what's good and what's bad. And that's because we're not grounded in our bodies. And so one of the things that I teach people is that our chakra system is like, it's like a multi-story building. It's, it's like an apartment block. It's like an office block. That we, we, you can't, the penthouse suite cannot exist unless the basement and the ground floor and the first floor and the second floor, third floor, etc., are there to support it because otherwise the penthouse suite is floating about in the air. And just a very simple thing is standing with your knees unlocked. Not not bent, but just unlocked. Most people, when they're standing, they have their knees locked. What that actually does is, is that that closes off the first chakra, which means that no energy is coming up to support the heart. When we're grounded, when we're grounded down into the earth, when we're grounded down into the physical body, then the heart is supported. When the heart is supported, then we begin to see the world through the heart. And so the heart sees a complete picture, a more complete picture. The mind has a lot of opinions, and a lot of people simply don't know the difference between speaking their truth and expressing an opinion. Mm. A lot of a lot of people really don't know the difference between the two. And there's a big difference, and that difference happens when the heart is open. And so that can be very much altered from a physical point of view. Keep your knees unlocked when you're talking to people, and you will notice that there's a difference not only in your perception of them, but their perception of you. So a lot of it is about coming into the body. One of the unfortunate things is that our cultural background has told us that the flesh is weak, the flesh is bad, and sexuality has been made dirty, it's been made unclean, it's been made bad, but we all got to the planet because someone had sex with somebody else. Yes, we did last year, did we? <laughs> Sorry, what? So we, we didn't just pop in, did we? No, we didn't just pop in. Um, no doubt there have been some beings from time to time, uh, but no, we we, um, we all got here because um, sexual intercourse took place. And so there has been a great denial in Western culture um, of the body and of the lower part of the body. And even when I use the word lower, we use that word lower also to mean bad. 
lower self, lower feelings, etc. Higher is better. And so we've, we've, we've transferred that also onto our chakra system. So the lower chakra is bad, upper chakra is good. And so a lot of us live in the upper chakras, um, not only because we've been told by our religious tradition that sex, sexuality in the body is weak and bad and evil, etc., but also because many of us have been traumatized. It it's, doesn't always feel safe to be in the physical body, even at birth, because as so many children are kind of yanked out of their mothers in a, in a room with bright lights, taken off by a stranger, the umbilical cords cut immediately, they're not, they're not put to their mother's breast, they're taken off, weighed, cleaned, etc. It's a very traumatic process for most of us coming into the world. So let me... Let me ask you a quick question, Shavasti, because I know that just in my own observation, there are so many people that are so seeking uh, to reach the higher realms or reach enlightenment or reach these places which are perceived in these other realms that they constantly stay there. And, and that, uh, it, it, to me, sometimes it looks like an escape mechanism because I don't know the point of coming to planet Earth if it wasn't to experience the body, to be in the body, to ground in the body. And so can we really, unless we get in the body, can we really experience what it is that so many people are running after? No. That's <laughs> the short answer. No. And I used to be one of those light chasers myself living in my upper chakras. And so I lived in that place of idealism. And so that was the way in which I looked at the world until I had a very rude awakening, which changed everything. Um, and it is far richer when we're in the physical body, when we're actually working with and in our first two chakras, and this can't be done with the mind. A lot of people are trying to do everything with the mind, and the mind is just merely a servant of consciousness. It is not consciousness itself. There's something far greater there, and, and myself and other people um, have used the word awareness. There's a far greater um, awareness there, which is not the mind. The intellect cannot know these things. We often try to get the mind to do something that it can't do. It's, it's, it's when I first got the insight, the real physical insight, um, that my intellectual prowess, no matter how developed it was, my mind could never become enlightened. <laughs> that tickled me pink when I got that one. It was just. It was just an enormous moment, thinking, oh my goodness, how arrogant of me. Um, and so when we're in the body, and so then the heart is supported, we start seeing humanity through our heart. And that's such a different place. And those other places with, that I used to live in, in the upper chakras, of constant looking to the world of um, angels and spirit guides and, 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 and all that, that's all very nice and that's still part of my life, but I'm not looking to escape there. I'm really looking to arrive because when the heart is open, when we're not projecting, when we're seeing things as they are, life is gorgeous, delicious, yummy. 
And there is this illusion that people run after. They think that if you are awakened or enlightened, there's never any pain anymore. That is not true. That's not true. It's a big, fat lie. It's it's an illusion that people have grasped onto, believing, well, if I become enlightened, then I will never, ever, ever experience pain. Well, that's just not true. It isn't true. It's one of the great illusions. The difference is, the difference is, we will experience, continue to experience short-term pain, but what will have been given up is long-term suffering. And this chasing of enlightenment is part of our own long-term suffering. And so long-term suffering is born out of an avoidance of what is actually there. That's what it's born out of. And enlightenment does not relieve pain. It does relieve suffering. My guest today is Shavasti. In Teachings from an Awakened Heart, you will journey with the stream of Shavasti's words that will bring you to new understandings and experiences of forgiveness, awakening, hidden loyalties, and new opportunities for personal peace. With this audio journey, you'll be invited to step inside the deeper questions of your being, your longing, and deeper truths of who you are and what you really want. Teachings from an Awakened Heart presents truth powerfully, inclusively, and persuasively in ways that will invite you to surrender to the core of your being, irrespective of what you discover about yourself along the way. You'll discover that to love is totally natural and that there is and never has been anything wrong with you. These are beautiful, deep, and rich audios, and I invite you to visit his website, shavasti.com. When you go there, you'll also find out about his blog, his video posts, in addition to his services, which include personal work, group work, family work, as well as speaking. Shavasti.com, S-H-A-V-A-S-T-I.com. We'll be right back. This is the 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. www.1111mag.com 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Seek greater awareness. You 
are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. If you would like to join today's discussion, please call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5795. Again, 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to Simron at simron-singh.com. Now back to 1111 Talk Radio with Simron Singh. My guest today is Shavasti, and he is definitely one of the individuals on the planet that you want to tap into the work. He brings really, really deep and life-changing spiritual teachings and healing work, and there's a breadth of knowledge in both experience and his wisdom. His childhood and, indeed, his entire life has been characterized by life with different spoken languages, maturing with diverse cultures across the entire globe, having lived on every continent from birth onward until today. Chavosky is also known as the author John L. Payne, and he's the author of four books published, and you can also find out about his latest, which is an audio book, Teachings from an Awakened Heart. Chavosky, welcome back. Um, I have a question from the first part of the show. When you were talking about uh, people healing from, from past historical traumas and things, and I know that when you work with people, you tap into the morphogenetic field and that you bring people together and they can assume different roles so that they actually have an experience of what the other person um, was perhaps feeling or saying or have a conversation so that they can resolve these kinds of issues. Can you talk a little bit about that field and how this work taps into it, how you're able to help people resolve some of the work, especially mm-hmm. their own family constellations? Mm-hmm. So although um, at the moment, uh, well, as my work has developed, I'm, I'm not working in the same way with family constellations that I used to. My, my work has changed really quite a lot, although as the fundamental teachings and principles of that work has been fully integrated into what I currently do now, I still do... Um, use that way of working with people where we use representatives. And it really is tapping into what's always here, this broader awareness. In Western culture, we've become so conditioned by our individualism that we believe that we are islands separated from the world and from everybody else. Individualism is a very, very important um, foundational belief, um, value, quality within Western culture. We must be individuals. The consequences is that we've also created a lot of loneliness in Western culture. Other cultures, nobody has privacy and there are no boundaries. So there are, you know, there are plus sides and downsides to, to, to every culture. I don't believe there's one that's better than the other. And so in using the field that you call it the morphogenic field, uh, um, that's a term coined by Dr. Rupert Sheldrake, I believe. That field is just part of the universal field of energy and information that we can easily tap into. And what I discovered over the years was that if I explain it to people, they can't do it. If I say nothing, then they do it very easily. And so, yes, indeed, it's very possible to take someone and just say, okay, well, you represent this person's mother or grandmother, or not even to tell them. I very often don't tell them now. And they have access to the feelings sometimes to the memories of 
the other person who's not even physically present in the room. So that happens just like magic. And of course, that stimulates a lot of brain activity. Well, how does that work? And why does that work? And da 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 da. Which is why I don't really explain it, because as soon as we get the mind involved, somehow, um, it doesn't work too well. It can be a very, very powerful way of working because, as with the old adage, a picture paints a thousand words. So when I'm working with someone, they're literally looking at the person with whom they have an entangled, difficult, or troubled relationship. And a lot of things can be resolved that way. So it's not as if I have completely um, dismissed family constellation work, not at all, actually. It's, just, it's a fundamental part of, well, it's the principles of their work. It's a fundamental part of what I currently do. But I'm no longer offering family constellation-specific workshops. I work in a very rounded way and offer people what is present in the moment. Who is the client? What do they need? What is alive in them right now? And then from that, I will just, go into my toolbox, which are not really modalities because I'm not kind of sort of switching and saying, okay, I'm using this technique as opposed to that technique. Because then, again, that's being very mental. Um, I like to sit in presence with someone and feel them and know where they are in that moment just by really feeling and being present with them and and using that broader consciousness and awareness um, such as the the, the morphogenic field and, and, and use that as a tool as well. Does that answer your question? Yes, and part of the reason I wanted to go into that part of it is because I know my own experience as I went on tour this year on the Rebel Road was to experience my unknown self, that that we get so locked in an identity that we operate so much from that identity that there's a whole unknown side of us that we never tap into simply because we believe who we are. And so I wanted to ask you about how people expand, how, how do you suggest through some of the concepts that you have seen and, and learned about, especially through digging through these shadowy emotions and, and personas that we have within us, how to continue to expand more into the unknown self and release this identity and known self bit by bit? That comes about through asking some very important questions. And one of the most important questions is, who are you? And if we notice that we immediately start naming objects, and an object can be a condition as well as a a real object. So an object could be, well, um, I'm an insurance broker. I'm a... I'm a mother, I'm a wife, um, I'm a this, I'm a... mm. And so as soon as we start labeling external things and we know that we're on the wrong track and that's just the mind, the process is really around looking at what did we construct, what did we become in response to our essence, our beautiful essence not being reflected back to us sufficiently, in response to the images that were projected onto us by families, by parents, by school teachers, by society, etc., as to what we were expected to become, 
constructed a false self, a persona. And that could be grumpy girl, happy girl. That could be incapable of doing anything girl. That could be um, efficient man. That could be sporty man. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. Where it goes awry is when we identify with that and believe that that is the real us. And so when we've lived out our image Images and when we've lived out our life according to images, we often forget that that process started very, very young. And it might have started as young as two or even before. Okay, if I express this, that makes mommy very unhappy, so I won't express it. If I do this, this makes daddy very happy, so I will do more of that. And so the process starts very young. And so we begin to separate from our pure essential self and we create another self which might be the self that we take on to a spiritual journey and we're constantly trying to fix the false self and wondering why 10, 15, 20 years into our personal development, our healing, our spiritual journey that we're still not quite satisfied. That's because we're trying to fix something that's essentially can be modified but not fixed because it's not really us. And so that's the important question. Mm. Who are you? Who are you? Who am I? And in my journey, what I began to discover that who I am is someone who wants the freedom to love more than anything. That's much more important than whatever career aspirations I might have, financial aspirations I might have, body aspirations I might have. But really at the core, each of us longs to be free to love. And that sounds again like what you had to say before about the chakras. It's about really strengthening that lower part because that requires you being in your heart. It also requires you having a strong enough solar plexus so that you can 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 uh, be more in control of your mind rather than your mind in control of you. You talk about the solar plexus and the mind field being very connected. Will you speak a little bit on that while we have the last couple of minutes? Well, yes, our intellect is, 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 is based in the solar plexus, and the solar plexus is very mental, and it's a very useful tool. A solar plexus can, can um, the, 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 the mental part of our mind, as opposed to the greater awareness, which is the universal consciousness, the mind is very good for doing things like um, figuring out timetables. It's very good to figure out things like, well, if I'm going to build this kind of house, I need foundations that are that deep. I need this kind of brick. So it's very logical. It's very structured. Um, it can join the dots together, etc. So it's a useful tool. I'm not, I'm not talking against the mind, um, but it's, it's the belief that the intellect can answer a question that it simply cannot. It's a belief that the intellect itself can become enlightened. It, it's the belief that the intellect can find God. It cannot. It is something that is outside of its realm. It doesn't even live within that realm. 
Then the other chakra that's important, our second chakra, which is really um, an expression of our first two, two years of life, and that's where a lot of our wounding is, it wants instant gratification. Instant gratification. So when we were not brought into what Hamid Almas calls merging love in his series of uh, material called uh, The Diamond Approach, I think it's called The Diamond Approach, he uses an expression called merging love. When we weren't brought into merging love, when we weren't brought into our mother's heart chakra, when we weren't brought into our father's heart chakra, when we were subjected to so many projected images, then we lack a much deeper sense of ourselves. And our second chakras were never filled. And so if they weren't filled by our parents as we came into this world, and of course they couldn't do that perfectly because they themselves were traumatized and their, their parents were traumatized and so on and so forth, then we tend to live from this place of needing instant gratification. And that's why we live in a culture where... Um, watch the TV and buy this product now for only nineteen ninety nine. And so when we get the next thing, when we get the next thing, when we get the next job promotion, when we get the new car, when we get the new boyfriend, when we get the new house, then we'll be happy. And then it's never enough. It's never enough. My guest today has never been Shavasti, and he is the author of the new audio book, Teachings from an Awakened Heart. I urge you to definitely find out more about his work. He is very real, very authentic, and goes to the core of where our healing and our awareness must go. He speaks and writes in a way that speaks to the soul. It speaks to the heart, and it allows you to really know that you're reading and, and hearing truth. You can find out more about Shavasti's work, his personal sessions, his speaking engagements, his future endeavors at his website, shavasti.com, S-H-A-V-A-S-T-I.com. If you missed the first two episodes, definitely go back and listen. They are both also power-packed with a lot of really rich information that will serve you well. I look forward to being with you again next week with another exciting guest. In love, of love, with love and as love, I'm Simran Singh with the spiritual teacher, Shavasti. Thank you, Shavasti. Thank you. You're more than welcome. Thank you for stepping into the doorway of conscious choice with 1111 Top Radio. Please join host Simran Singh again next Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time for another enlightening edition here on the 7th Wave Network. Remember, shift happens. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.